We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning. I kind of want to set the stage for what I'm going to be discussing. Uh, the Scripture tells us now all these things happen to them for examples. They're written for our admonition on whom the ends of the world are come. Uh, you know, it's it's doubtful that, you know, any minister is going to be called to stand in St. Louis and part the Mississippi River and uh, unite eastern part of America with the western part of America and unity and tranquility and peace is going to come uh, as Moses divided the Red Sea. It's doubtful that uh, any of us will uh, be called like Elijah to stand on Carmel and see the slaughter of 850 false prophets. Uh, it's, it's doubtful that we'll be called to replicate any of the events of Scripture. But the reason they're written is that sometimes in the physical and often in a spiritual context, we face identical situations in our lives. And they're written in Scripture so that to inspire us to demonstrate the same faith and the same trust in God that they uh, referenced. You know, there's conflicting news, and, uh, you know, I think regardless of what the w events of the next week unfold, that there is going to be uh, just a rem tremendous amount of unrest and things that occur in our nation. Uh, and, and probably in other parts of the world. And uh, let, me, let me read my text, Acts 27, verses 8 through 24. And uh, I'm glad that went off, Steve, so I can silence my... Acts 27, verse 8. And hardly passing it came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Now whereunto was the city of La Sea. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with great hurt and much damage, not only to the lading and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. Let me say this. If you've got a spiritual mind speaking into your life, you need to just shut out all the experts. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain Phoenice and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lieth toward the south, west, and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, 
loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. And when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth. Paul had been on a fast. Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and lost. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God of whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. If you know much about the biography of Paul, uh, I know that my heart has concluded that I have great sympathy for what he endured for the gospel's sake. I don't know of a human, I've never met one that I think that I've lived contemporary with that could have demonstrated the faith and the resolve that Paul felt and that he resolved in what he faced for the gospel's sake. He endured incredible, incredible opposition. He went through so much in, in his ministry and his life for the cause of the gospel that I wonder, you know, in my own life how I have escaped and the blessing of God that has resided on me to not have to face and to deal with the measure of opposition and the measure of physical duress that Paul felt during his ministry. What I'm going to talk to you about today is from Fairhavens to Arachlodon. Uh In our text, we find him on a ship that he was counting on to get him to Rome. Uh, and the thing he was counting on was now coming apart. Do you kind of get the gist of where we are? The storm was violent, and it was destructive. Paul was counting on that ship to get him to his destination. He felt safe on that ship. He but this measure of safety, this comfortability that he felt with the ship was now being taken away. And the storm was literally tearing the ship apart. Now Jonah encountered the same kind of storm fleeing from God. But Paul encountered this kind of storm doing the will of God. So it doesn't matter whether you're fleeing from God or you're doing the will of God. You have to understand you're going to encounter some pretty devastating storms in your Christian life. Jonah's disobedience brings God's wrath. But because Paul is sailing in the direction that God had given him, Paul's journey brings God's hope 
you must ensure that you're sailing with God, not against God in whatever you do. Now, you're going to face a storm regardless of which way you sail. But the difference is whether or not I love Lincoln's statement when he was asked about did he think that God was on the north side during the Civil War. He said, I'm not concerned so much whether or not God is on our side. I'm just concerned whether or not I'm on God's side. And that's the question that we have to answer in every, every circumstance of life. What do you do when what God has provided for you is completely coming apart? This is a question that I've had and asked God over the past months of 2020 because I know that even in the vile nature of of what is happening in America, that there is a heart. Understand that there's no other nation that funds and sends missionaries out to the rest of the world like America does. Uh, you don't find any other country giving billions of dollars to third world countries for medical assistance, for all kinds of helps and aids. We are a very generous nation, and the characteristic of God is to be, a, he's a giving God. And I know that God takes all of these things into account. But the thing, the question that God has asked me, that as I have seen America unraveling and coming apart, do you just give up hope? Uh, do you throw up your hands in despair? Do you throw in the towel? Do you just accept the inevitable that it's going to come apart. You will encounter storms in life that defy the experts. They will. Nobody can solve the, some of the storms and problems that we will face and encounter as, as a child of God, as a church, and as the church triumphant in, in the world. The captains and sailors, there are some storms in life where having a man of God in your life is invaluable. Invaluable. Now, God didn't make a promise to the ship. Here's the thing that we have to understand about God. God, God didn't promise the sanctity of our nation. I'm not even sure that He has sanctioned the integrity of of this church but what you do have as an individual is the promise of God that he will get you from here to there from here to there the promise wasn't made to the ship the promise was made to Paul and that all that there were that were with him God didn't promise that the ship would be preserved, but he did promise that Paul and those that sailed with him would be preserved. Do you understand that God is able to save you without a ship? God is able to save you without this church. God is able to save you without any church. In life... You cannot protect the temporary. One of the problems that have happened at the transition of every dispensation that God has enacted is that the, those of the old generation tried to hold on to that dispensation when God was making a transition to a new dispensation. We try. We really do try. We try to hold on to what is temporary. But when you do that, you often 
it suffers at the expense of the eternal. When you clutch, clutch and grab a hold of what is simply temporary in your life, you lose the grip on what is eternal in your life. Every sin is based on whether you're going to grab the immediate or whether you're going to hold on to eternity. Sin is grabbing a hold of the temporary. It's embodying in the temporary. And you have to shun the temporary to embrace the eternal. Now, Paul was in a very perilous situation. He was bound in shackles. He was weary. He was stressed. He had been fasting for many days. And now what he's counting on is going to sink. Have you ever experienced that same dilemma that what you were counting on was being destroyed at the very time that you felt like you needed the most? We live lives that we expect to have until. We expect things to continue on as they always have until a job is taken from us, until a relationship is broken in our life, and somewhere along the path of life, a storm got them. An unexpected storm came up and destroyed what we were counting on so heavily. But that's the nature of a storm. You lose things in a storm. You lose friends in a storm. You lose possessions in a storm. You lose a feeling of success. A storm in life will often leave you feeling as a failure. But whatever you lose in a storm is only temporary. You can never lose what's eternal in a storm. You, not the things that can survive the storm. You lose what can be destroyed <coughs> Excuse me, in a storm. Do you really believe that if you aren't ready for something, God wouldn't send it? Yeah. It may be painful. It may be hurt. If you weren't strong enough, he wouldn't have sent it. You know, God sent things into Job's life he's never sent in mine or yours because he knew Job could handle it. That's why Paul lived in the time of Paul and David didn't live in the time of Paul because God probably knew that David couldn't stand it, but Paul could. You see, God always considers who we are and he bases the storms that we face on who we are. Just make sure in a storm that you have somebody in your life, hopefully yourself, that is in communication with God. Your communication with God is more important right now than in any time in your life because there are going to be things that are lost to us that we have counted on for such a long time. One of the things that God ensured when the storm hit is he ensured that the ship was close enough to shore that all of those on it could make it to shore. God knew you could. The ship didn't make it because the ship's just temporary. The church just exists in this dispensation. It doesn't exist in the next dispensation. Sometimes you'll have to navigate life without a favorable wind. When they left 
fair havens, the wind blew softly. It was an aiding wind. One of the things as a Christian that no evangelist ever tells you and a pastor really tells you that if you're going to sail on the ship of Zion, you're going to face storms. You're going to face storms. You have to learn. You understand that a sailboat doesn't sail with the wind. It always sails against the wind. A sail is like a dihedral. It's like the wing of an aircraft. You see, a wing of an airplane is specially designed. The surface over the wing is longer. That's why it's convex over the wing and it's flat under the wing. Because the air traveling over the wing and the wing, air traveling under the wing travel at different speeds. The air under the wing flows slower than the wing over the wing. The air flowing over the wing creates a negative airspace, and that gives the wing lift. The lift is not from underneath. The lift is from above. And so when a sailboat sails too directly into the wind, it creates what's called luff. The sail will begin to flop, and it'll go limp if it sails too directly in a wind. That's why an aircraft takes off at a certain what they call angle of attack. If it takes off at too high of an angle of attack, the wing will stall, it'll lose its lift, and the airplane will nosedive over. One of the things that you learn as a pilot is you learn how to recover from a stall. The worst part of a stall is you can go into a spin. And that is when one wing stalls before the other wing, like if you're in a climbing turn and too high of an angle of attack, the top wing will stall first and the aircraft will roll over. And it will go into a flat spin. And you have to know how to recover out of that flat spin. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's not a pleasant landing. I think God is telling the church that we need to quit grieving over things in our life that's just a boat. Here is where most of us are. We love what we have. And when we lose what we have, we don't think anything else can ever replace it. Yeah, we hold on to stuff. I mean, I'm the world's worst. You have, you you know, you grew up like I grew up. Uh, You always think that you might need this. My grandmother had a ball of twine that was the size of a basketball. And it was just loose pieces of string that she wouldn't throw away because she never knew when she might need it. (laughs) One of the things that's rare in this story in Acts 27 is one of the rarest things you'll ever see is that there's an anchor on the stern of a ship. It's always on the bow. You never anchor a ship off of uh, the rear of the ship. We don't think anything else can get us to shore if the ship doesn't get us there. If... God doesn't hold our life together. We just don't think we can make it. But the ship that Paul and these sailors were on is now in pieces. And they had to take hold of the piece to make it to shore. And that tells me that God will always leave you enough to save you. He may not leave any excess, 
The scripture says, some by boards and others on broken pieces of the ship, but they all made it safe to land. Just because things get broken up in our life doesn't mean that we, can sur- that we won't survive. Our nation can completely fracture and fall apart, but that doesn't mean that the church of God will not survive. It doesn't not believe that we will not be taken care of by God. You have to grab a hold of whatever God leaves you with and hang on. There are some things that are worth getting hold of. There are some things that are invaluable that you are in possession of. And God will always see to it that you have something to hold on to. I was talking with Crystal before the lesson, and uh, you know, she told me she's hanging in there. I had a poster in my office of a mountain lion sitting on a limb of a tree with all four of his limbs hanging off. And the caption in it was, hangeth in there, brother. Uh, Nobody can be saved with what was. You can only be saved with what is. Amen. Paul and the passengers couldn't be saved by a ship that was whole because it was broken up. But they grabbed a hold of a broken piece of that ship and they made it all the way to shore. You feel what I'm feeling? Amen. You have to make up your mind that you probably won't make it to your destination with what you started with. That you're going to lose a lot of things in the journey. You just have to hold on to that broken piece of the ship. I nor you can make it on what we had years ago. I can't live on the prayer that I prayed years ago. I can't live on the Bible studies I've done years ago. Because I'm retired as a pastor doesn't mean that I can retire from the Word of God. Amen. You have to make it with what you have now. You are no better Christian than what you are today. Your experience with God has to be based on that experience that you have with God today. Uh, And that doesn't mean that eternal things change because they don't. It means that temporary things changed. There's a lot of things that we have thought that were eternal that are not eternal. There are a lot of things that we thought that we just had to have that God is showing that we don't need. Because what is temporary is constantly changing. The only thing that doesn't change is God and truth. And truth and facts are not the same thing because facts often change, but truth never changes. And I say again, God didn't promise to save the ship. He promised to save us, that he would complete the work in us until that day. I think God wants us to understand you can make it on pieces. Yeah. You can make it on broken pieces. You can make it to heaven with a broken heart. You can make it to heaven with broken relationships. If you lose everything else in life, if you can hold on to God, you'll make it. You don't have to have a perfect job. 
You don't have to have a perfect marriage. You don't have to have perfect children to make it. And you don't have to have a perfect church to make it. And you know that's an oxymoron. There's never been a perfect church. No. As I've said, if it was perfect when you got in it, it wasn't perfect anymore. And I've also said I wouldn't want to go to a perfect church. I wouldn't want to have a perfect pastor. I wouldn't want to be pastored by somebody that didn't have any affinity with my struggles, who couldn't look at my failure with compassion and considering himself to where he's failed in the past, reach out with compassion and restore me in a spirit of meekness. We was talking in the office before church. I really do long for the day that the church gets back to being the church. Transparent. Transparent. Where if you're having a struggle, you don't worry about sharing it with a brother because you know he's not going to judge you. That he's going to understand. He's going to pray with you. He's going to pray for you. You don't want people in your life who don't want the best for you. I don't want to go to church with people who don't have the best in their, in, in their heart toward me. I don't want to go to a church where the pastor doesn't have the best in his heart toward me. I want a pastor that has the heart of God, who knows me best but loves me most, who knows the worst about me but still believes the best in me. Everyone doesn't have to like you to make it. No. If popularity was a prerequisite for salvation, Jesus and the Apostle Paul would be lost. Yeah, you don't have to win popularity contest. Stop focusing on what you have lost. This is the crux of my message. We need to stop focusing on what we've lost and start focusing on what we have left. Because what we have left is what God has given us to save us. God always leaves enough to make it. God will always leave you enough to make it. He always left enough meal in the meal barrel for the next meal. In living for God, there's some things I've learned across 50-plus years of serving Him. I've learned that every blessing doesn't come to stay. Most blessings that come to my life are just there for a season. They're just there temporarily. You know, every friend I've ever had has not been a lifelong friend. Yeah. Every job I have had didn't get better and better and better and better. <laughs> Even in the ministry. And what's become abundantly clear to me is my health is not going to last forever. It's all temporary. It's all temporary. I'm living now at what is called on a fixed income. And I know that all the money that I've saved, when I say all, <laughs> I know it's not going to go for vacations but it's going to go for prescriptions. <laughs> yeah. God sends things in our life for just a season, but the seasons do change. They change. 
we're told in Scripture this world is not our home. We're just pilgrims. You know, I've wondered if really society has progressed. You know, there was a time that almost everybody lived in a tent. In a tent you could take down and move, put up, take down, move, put up, take down, move, put up. That's kind of the way I grew up. I went to 21 schools in 12 years. Even my body is just a tent. And someday this tent's going to be taken down. Now, it'll stand as long as I need it, but when I don't need it anymore, God's going to take it down. Amen. Things that God sends in our lives, we needed them for that season. But that season has changed. There are things that you have relied on and count on, counted on. There are some people that you've relied and counted on. And at some point, God's going to take them out of your life. You know what you're going to learn? Is that he's the God of succeeding generations. That's what it tells me when he said he's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. God didn't stop being God when Abraham died or Isaac died, or Jacob died. There's nobody in the kingdom of God that's expendable, that's not expendable. God's always got somebody in the wings to take your place. Yeah, as hard as that seems to imagine, yeah. Too many people spend too much time Standing at the tomb of what used to be, mourning over what's gone forever. You know, one of the things that has always bothered me as a pastor is when people leave, they never tell you the real reason why. And there's always that nagging thing of why, why, why. And you have to learn, like Paul, forgetting those things which are behind. You cannot live in the past. We cannot even live on last Sunday because all we have is this Sunday. All of my relationship with God is based on what I am this Sunday. If I wasn't what I should be last Sunday, I need to be what I should be this Sunday. All that has left your life couldn't stay. That's why it left. All that has stayed in your life could leave. There's some people and some things that have come into your life that can't leave. And to God be the glory. God's people are going to be okay. God's people are going to be okay. It's important. If it's important to our future, God will provide it. If it's important for your future, they'll be there. God will be there. Just a broken piece of the ship, just a fragment of faith, just a broken piece of the word, just a sliver of love. God is going to see whatever you need to make it, you're going to have enough to make it. That's right. You say, and I felt this way, I can't, take, I can't make it another step. I can't go on another day. Yeah, you can. I remember when I first got to Atlanta, uh, I took a church of 42 people. It had five cases of immorality in it. When I found out, I thought, dear God, how could I have been so blind and insensitive to get myself into this kind of situation? 
And I remember day after day after day. We lived upstairs. We converted a Sunday school room and a kitchen that was upstairs. We put in a bathroom and converted into an apartment for my family. Lived there 18 months. Uh, I remember going down every day, dark sanctuary, praying. God, if you don't show up today and give me direction today, I'm going to walk out of this place and I ain't never coming back. <laughs> I'd come back the next day and say, God, if you don't show up today and give me some, I'm walking out of this place and I ain't never coming back. <laughs> uh, the Bible says the steps, not the journey of a good man, are ordered of the Lord. Just the next step. Just the next step. We talked in the office about there's two lights from God. There's a light like the sun that lights the whole landscape. David said, thy word is a light unto my pathway. But he also said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. When Israeli soldiers would move through the mountains at night, they had foot lamps they tied onto their feet. And it only showed enough light to take the next step. So they wouldn't step off of a mountain trail and fall off a, a precipice. God will either illuminate the whole landscape for you, but he'll always give you enough light to take the next step in life. Always leaves enough strength to make it. It's easy for us to become fearful in safe places. Your emotions will lie to you. Even Elijah, as great a man of God as he was, his emotions lied to him. I've never understood why he ran all the way to Jezreel, sat down and prayed, God, take my life. Take my life. If he'd have wanted to die, why didn't he stay Jezebel would have taken care of it for him. He didn't want to die. The last thing you need to put your trust in is your feelings. You can get so emotionally involved in something that's temporary. I found myself getting so emotionally worked up about our election. God had to say, David, it's just temporary. Don't get so emotional about it. When you're exhausted emotionally, they'll send you all kind of conflicting signals. One of the things that, that you learn in flying, you learn not just to fly an airplane, but you learn how to fly it when the engine quits you learn how to fly in all kind of emergencies. When you learn how to dive, you don't just learn how to breathe through the apparatus and go into the depth. They take that thing off of you. They fill your mask with water, and you have to learn to clear it underwater. You have to learn to take your buoyancy compensator off, put it back on underwater. They take you through all kinds of emergencies because they want to prepare you for worst-case scenarios. You know, that's what Paul did. He counted this. He looked at life present, life past, life in the future. He looked at things high and things low. He looked at principalities and powers and rulers of God. He looked at all of it. He anticipated all of that coming in his life. And he made this statement, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Not that something would separate the love of God from me, but separate me from the love of God. He anticipated that whatever life threw at him, that he was going to be faithful to God. You know, it's so important. You can think you're in danger when you're not. You can think you cannot trust anybody 
and become paranoid. You will imagine that people are against you when they're really for you. And sometimes you lash out most at the people who are trying to help you. Exhaustion skews perception. And I know that this nation and we as individuals are weary and exhausted with this pandemic and the environment that it has created. But you can be afraid even when you're safe. Sometimes in life, it's like flying on instruments. One of the things that you learn as an instrument pilot is you learn to trust your instrument. And they teach you to do that by what they call spatile disorientation. Is they put you under a hood where you cannot see outside of anything and you can't even see the instrument. And the instructor puts that airplane in all kind of what they call unusual attitudes. Man, we need a course of that in the church. How to recover from an unusual attitude. And he'll say, okay. And first he'll ask you, what, what's, a, what's the condition of the aircraft to see if you can figure it out with your spatile orientation, your inner ear system and all that. And generally, you are opposite of what you think the airplane is. But you're under this hood, so you cannot see outside. So you have to look at your instrument panel and see what attitude the aircraft's in and immediately correct it. They do this over and over again, put you in all kind of unusual attitudes. Uh... Navigating life sometimes requires an instrument rating spiritually because your eyes don't tell you the truth. What you feel doesn't tell you the truth. You need to have a pure heart because you cannot get far on just a visual flight rule in life of what you can see and what you can feel and what you can taste. Sometimes you need a quality instrument to give you correct orientation of where you are. One of life's greatest victories is simply surviving. I'm a survivor. You know, when it became clear that I was going to survive my episode, I didn't get up and shout and dance. <laughs> I was spent. I was exhausted. I was emotionally depleted. I don't wear, read where Paul danced when he got on shore. We underestimate sometimes the price that we pay to just survive. Sometimes we think that when God brings a victory, there's just going to be this exuberance. But we may just sit quietly exhausted. Five years ago, I was just emotionally recovering. And I bask in His grace every day. One of the things that you have to learn in being a Christian is that there's nothing wrong with being exhausted. Because your exhaustion tells you that you're tough or you wouldn't have survived. Sometimes in situations, it's just a matter of survival. And we as Christians may be in just that place now in our lives of where it's just important to survive. I'm way over time. On the ship in Iraq, Ladon, hope was lost. Hope in their ability to navigate 
But there's another hope. Paul called it the anchor of hope, which is God. One thing the storm will always authenticate, it'll authenticate who the man of God is. Paul knew who he belonged to. A servant of God has to know whose I am and whom I serve. You have to know who you belong to and who you're serving. When you're exhausted, you cannot live under your own counsel. You have to trust God. Amen. That's why I retired, because I was exhausted. And I can tell you that if you turn it over to God, He'll be better to you than you can be to yourself. Because Don Biddick has been that to me. He's been better to me than I could be to myself. Amen. We've left Fairhaven. We're in the midst of the Arachnodon. But God is with us. And he's going to give us enough to be saved. Amen. Let's take a break. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.